Welcome to the Etsy podcast. I am your host, Justin McRoberts. Now, before I dive in here, uh, I want to extend a special thanks to the patrons who've backed this work recently. They had early access to this episode, as they do every episode of the podcast. They're really actually helping me not only to continue to do the work of the podcast, but to improve it. If you'd like to join our team, you can jump to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com, and search my name, Justin McRoberts. And now on to episode 17. ordinary people who were seeking to live out what it means to be a citizen in the United States. Dr. King uh, used to often say that all we're saying to America is be true to what you said on paper. Hmm. And so they were holding them accountable. So whether that was the, the, the nine students in, in Little Rock who wanted to live out the promise of Brown, or whether that was the Freedom Riders uh, who were living out the, the promise of integrated uh, interstate transportation, hmm. that's all they were doing. Some of my guests are people who make national news. They win Grammys and National Book Awards. But this will never be a podcast about what's most popular or what's trending, per se. My interest is connecting you with great culture makers because I believe what they do deepens and enriches our lives. My guest on this episode is professor and cultural curator Dr. Todd Allen. Since 2002, Dr. Todd has not only taught in the classroom about the history of the civil rights movement, but has led a bus tour to many of the sites vital to the movement itself. In doing so, he connects dots that might otherwise live in disparate parts of his guests' hearts and minds. I caught up with him in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania recently and thought the conversation I had with him might help you and I connect a few of those same dots. Check it out. But uh, let's, here, here's where I would want to go is I what really fascinated me about your work because you're a teacher Correct. predominantly. Yep. Um, and then over the last, kind of as an extension of being a teacher, over the last few years, you've developed this tour you do. Right. So uh, can you uh, kind of give me a little bit of that history in terms of like a becoming a teacher? You're from Pennsylvania. Sure. Mm-hmm. You, you left. There, I guess there are kind of two stories here I want to hang out in. One is that that's because they're both things happen at the same time. You have this sense of place. Like you, you kind of feel like you belong where you are. Uh-huh. Like Pennsylvania uh-huh. is, is home. Uh-huh. You left for a stretch and then, and then came back and you're teaching and then you're sort of taking people from here on this tour, which in a sense is still kind of a, like giving people really still a sense of place, right. but in right. history. Right. So like talk a little bit about kind of your journey. Okay. Academically, you sure. you uh, you thought about teaching. You were in high school. A little bit of what sure. went yesterday. Like, sure. how, how, how do you get here from <laughs> from from there a while ago? Yeah. Okay. Well, like I said, I I grew up uh, learning this history uh, both at home uh, as well as in high school, particularly my early years of high school. Yeah. And you know, when you grow up in a certain place, that that's the world to you. Huh. And so I thought every kid in America had. Mandatory two years. I mean, it wasn't mandatory for us, but two years of, uh, of uh, African-American history. And it was only when I got to college uh, at an HBCU uh, that I realized what a unique experience, you know, that I had coming up. Huh. Um, I did not actually intend to get into to teaching. Uh, as a kid, uh, I had an uncle, great uncle, 
who, before I even knew what a lawyer was, would always tell me, you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be a lawyer. <laughs> really? And I would agree. Um, because I was like, hey, you know, this is my uncle. I, you know, love him, respect him. I don't know what a lawyer is. As I got older, <laughs> in fact, he passed away my freshman year of college. This would have been in 1987. Uh-huh. Um, as I got older, I realized he came of age in a generation where he saw um, the walls of Jim Crow be- begin to tumble huh. uh, through things like Brown versus the Board of Ed. Mm-hmm. And so figures like Thurgood Marshall. Yeah. And so for him... Next to being a preacher, the the most noble thing you could be uh, is a lawyer, you huh. know. And you know, like that's where, like, if you're going to take a stance in the battle, that's it. Like, it here's through, where the power, here's the where law. the seat of power is, is in the courts. And so when he would look at me, he said, "You're going to be a lawyer. You're going to be a lawyer." Uh, the teaching thing is interesting because you know, as I mentioned, I I was really molded and shaped by a teacher uh, who has remained an influence in my life. And I'll never forget the uh, first time she went on the trip and she was talking with a reporter about the, her experience on this, on this journey. And she said, never could I have imagined in all those years that I was teaching this history hmm. that one of my students would then take me to hmm. the place to meet these people. <laughs> and then several years after that, um, my student, who helped actually grow the tour, came on the trip and and I and I knew in that moment what my teacher had felt because yeah. I felt the same thing you know here's one of my students who yeah. helped take Another this a step further man done gone from the county from another man done gone I didn't know his name 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 now, when you said earlier, I want to get into something, you, you said it wasn't until college that you right. realized that not everyone had had two years of African-American right. history. Right. How, right. Did, like, how did you figure that out? Like, you went to college, and like, how does that how I does went to college in Atlanta, and I would just, you know, in casual conversations with people, uh, I would, you know, mention things like, for example, one night, uh, Stokely Carmichael was going to be speaking on campus, <laughs> and I thought, this is just phenomenal. And I'm talking to some of my fellow classmates and say, hey, you're going to hear Stokely Carmack. I was like, who's that? Who is that? <laughs> you know, so, I mean, I would get a lot of these kind of who's yeah. that reactions, both, hmm. you know, at the HBCU and then when I transferred, you know, back home to Pennsylvania. Hmm. Now, as far as the, the teaching aspect, I, uh, I did think about going into history uh, as a major. I was a communication major in mm-hmm. undergrad. I did think about history. Uh, but at that time, I thought all you could do with a history degree is teach. And I do not want to be a teacher. That, mm. That's what I. That's what I said to myself. Yeah, you don't want to just regurgitate and, uh, dates and facts. It, and it, it, well, you know, again, I just it didn't even matter what the subject was. I was like, I just don't want to be a teacher. That's good. And so I laugh looking at where my career, you know, <clears throat> has gone, um, because lo and behold, what do I do but but teach? Uh, you know, when I graduated undergrad, I say, thank goodness, I'm never reading a book or writing another paper again. And yeah. You know, then you go on to grad school and, and now you're reading students' papers and, and, and all of that. Um, and so when a lot of people find out that I teach in the college level, mm-hmm. they assume I teach history uh, hmm. because of these civil rights tours. And then they're actually kind of shocked when they find out I do communication studies. Uh, and I said, you know, that's the thing about the, the way life works is that you can have multiple interests. You can have multiple callings. Mm-hmm. You're not limited to doing just one thing. Yeah. Um, and you can, you know, find ways to pursue all of those passions uh, uh, equally. Yeah, and that part of what you end up finding out, like we were talking about a second ago, is like 
if it's you right. and you're paying attention and you have multiple interests per se, right. there still ends up being a thread that oh, sort yeah. of holds all those things together. Oh, I've been able to weave this history into uh, what I do in the communication classroom uh, yeah. on more than, than you know one occasion. So no, I definitely see that, that, that consistency. Tell me how the, how the tour started and then, sure. and then tell me like what it actually looks yeah. like to be on it. Well, how, how it actually began <laughs> was I was invited, um, a friend from college, from undergrad, was putting together a trip for campus ministers from CCO, uh, Coalition for Christian Outreach. And about a month or so before his trip, he had asked me to you know, recommend some books, actually a couple months before his trip, for them to read. And then a month before the trip, he says, well, you know, you're going with me, right? And I said, no. I said, I'm not going. <laughs> he said, what do you mean you're not going? And I said, well, I've been to Atlanta. I've been to Memphis. I've seen Eyes on the Prize. I know it. And hmm. I kind of laughed that I actually said that to him because people say that to me now. Right. And uh, he goes, no, 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 you've got to go. And, uh, you know, as I was sharing with you before, he shared this book with me about a pastor by the name of Reverend Robert Gretz that yes. I had never heard of before. Yeah, and, and I neither thought, had I until yesterday yeah. when we were talking. And I thought, if I haven't heard this guy's story, what are some other stories I don't know? And so fortunately, I went uh, on that trip. That was 17 years ago. Um, I went on that trip, came back, was telling people about the experience that I had. And one of the people I told was my history teacher from high school. And she had just retired at that point. And she said, you should plan a trip. And I, you know, I tell people, I was like, I'm glad I didn't know how hard that that was because I probably wouldn't have done it. The Gretz story, yeah, that sort of like there was there was because even for you, like, well, hey, when we talked about this a little bit yesterday as well, it's like there's this kind of baseline knowledge that the, the average person has about about the civil rights movement and about the civil rights era, and to some degree, you like you said you said like you were kind of making that same assumption and mistake. Yes. Like, I've got all the information I need, yeah, and then you get hit with this story that you didn't know about this white pastor. Can you re like retell that story a little bit? Yeah, yeah, when we talk about that, that baseline knowledge, uh, I, I said that you know, Southern Poverty Law Center did a, did a report and it said people know two names, four words, Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King, I have a dream. Yeah. And now I knew a little bit more than that, but I was still caught up in the big names. Yeah. And so when, when my friend handed me this book <clears throat> called A White Preacher's Memoir, uh, it's about this Lutheran pastor named Reverend Robert Gretz. I had never heard of Gretz before. Mm -mm. And the first thing that intrigued me was, is here was a white guy who pastored an all-black congregation in Montgomery in the mid-1950s. I didn't think such a thing happened right. in, in the no. Jim Crow South, uh, but it did. And so what makes Gretz really, really fascinating is uh, when Mrs. Parks is arrested and the call goes out to you know boycott the buses for the one day, uh, that Monday, mm -hmm. um, one of the places that it was to be announced was in churches and pastoring an all-black congregation. Mm -hmm. Gretz knew that he would need to make some announcement uh, to his congregation, but he wanted to confirm the information. And so he called his next door neighbor uh, to get you know, some more details on was this true? Is there gonna be a one-day protest? 
And then towards the end of the conversation, he says, well, do you know who it was? And Gretz says there was this pause and uh, the person says, yes. And he says, well, who was it? And the person says, it was me. Gretz's good friend and next door neighbor was <laughs> Rosa, Rosa Parks. Parks. <laughs> you know, so Gretz knew at this point, I mean, no one knew that it was going to be this, you know, over a year long boycott. No. But he knew at this point that he was going to make an announcement, definitely. And that whatever was going to happen, he was hmm. going to be getting involved. And what and a so, fascinating twist in, uh, twist, it's not even a twist. What a fascinating detail. Yeah in civil rights history. Which still, what a cool moment still, yeah. on and the so, phone. And so, so then I go back to those books that I had been reading, you know, growing up reading about the civil rights movement, and yeah. there were names like Robert Gretz and yeah. Mrs. Johnny Carr and, uh, and, and you know, other figures that, that I now know and know well, but because they weren't, quote unquote, the big names, you know, in, hmm. in my younger years, I skipped over. Yeah, uh, a lot of those, and so that's what's been fascinating. Then um, these for these 16 years now, uh, we've taken hundreds of people from all over the country uh, on an eight nine day bus trip to a lot of the key southern sites uh, of the movement. You know, you so were, and we, you were, once you're on the tour, yeah. what's a person experiencing once they're there? Oh my! Uh, well, you know, we we've talked about the issue of place a yeah. little bit, and I tell people that it, this concept, the power of place, being in the places where this history happened but then also having the blessing to be there with the people who made yeah. this history. Yeah. So, you know, here, here's a, a typical example. You will be on a bus um, driving from Montgomery 50 miles into Selma, and you're watching a film of the voting rights struggle in Selma, uh, particularly Bloody Sunday on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And just as that clip is finishing, now that bus is riding across the very bridge where, you know, 51, 52 years ago, hmm. uh, this, this beating occurred when people were marching for the right uh, to vote. You get hmm. off that bus and then you're standing there with people who you just saw in that film. Hmm. You know, people like Joanne Bland, who was 11 years old hmm. uh, at the time and participated in those demonstrations, or people like Reverend uh, Frederick Reese, uh, who was the head of the Dallas County Voters League and the Selma City Teachers Association that invited King uh, mm. to come to Selma. Uh, and there you are with these people. I mean, it, it's just a way of bringing history to life mm. uh, that the best film, the best book can't quite capture. And I love there's there really is this, uh, it's like this cohesion between, uh, between place and people. Yes. And you're sort of getting yes. to that you can be in that same, right. I mean, you know, you can drive through Selma. Right, right. Right. Uh, and, and just to drive through it. Right. And that doesn't mean you were right. in Selma right. in the same way that right. someone who was on your tour is. Well, we, we, we're, we've been starting to see this now for like the last five, six years because, you know, everyone's getting older. And we're losing a lot of these authentic voices. The, mm. the veterans are, are, are passing on. And we see it in places like Montgomery. You know, Montgomery is not the same tour that it was a decade ago. Mm. You know, when we had figures like a Johnny Carr or, or, or a judge, uh, Thomas Gray and, right. and that kind of thing, you know, so we're losing these figures and that does change the dynamic. I mean, you, like you said, you can, you can visit some of these museums and spaces, you know, anytime, but right. to be there with the people yes. and to hear the stories. They sort of give roots to the place. The place becomes like an actual location and there's like a power to it right. because of the actual individuals and their histories that live well, there. You know, you've got me thinking because it's funny you just use that word roots I and mean, that's what we call our tour, returning to the roots of civil rights. And we could go any, I mean, there are 
tons of places we could go. We only have so much time to get so many places. But we tell people that, you know, we pick where we've gone for a reason. Huh. And so that it's that when you do then return to wherever you're from in this country, uh, number one, learn about the history of what was going on in that area at that time. Right. But two, what's going on presently? Um, and and where are you in that in that cause of social justice in in your community? Because if you go on the trip and you just get some some autographs and some nice photos and some T-shirts, yep. you've missed the meaning. Yes, uh, of it. It's about. I mean, like you can't go to Selma and then go home and not be registered to vote and not hmm. think about running for office yourself. Hmm. I mean, I've seen people do that. Um, but you've missed the meaning hmm. uh, if you don't then understand the importance of the ballot. And that's just one example. Oh, my God, promise me a home. Oh, Jesus, Lord have mercy. My God, promise me a home. I got a home where the gambler can go. I got a home where the gambler can go. Oh, Jesus, Lord have mercy. I got a home where the gambler can go. Another bit that we talked about yesterday has to do with the, the continuity of uh, there's the civil rights era, mm -hmm. and th this is a mistake I know I make in, in my own mind. There's the civil rights era, which is to say it ended, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, yeah, and the and the the the, the historical figures right. of the civil rights movement, right, as if it was a thing that happened in time and place, which right. to some degree that's true. There was right. the, you know, <clears throat> and then there's and and you even hear me say it, yeah. and then there is yeah. today. Yeah. But well, we, whereas well, we like sometimes you, you, call the post civil rights, <laughs> right? Post, uh, yeah. As if a there is yeah. post civil rights, yeah. and as if b and maybe this is maybe, this is actually maybe point a is <laughs> wasn't the point of or, or wasn't part of the intention of the civil rights movement mm -hmm. uh, to that there, there there would be a continuity. Mm -hmm. So what what is it about our communication of and our conversation around in schools? Uh, and interpersonally about right. the civil rights era that like allows for this lack of continuity where I can look back and have a conversation with pretty much any room of people at any point anywhere in the country and feel really great about it, the civil rights era and the civil rights heroes <laughs> and, and right. what a wonderful time and yes these and, but I can't draw that same kind of line. I can't, I can't draw a line between that and anything that looks like the civil rights movement <laughs> now. Uh -huh. And specifically that like, I don't recognize the critiques of things like the black lives matter movement <laughs> as mm -hmm. almost identical yeah. to the critiques yeah. of the civil rights movement. Yeah. Like where is it that we've maybe dropped the ball or failed in our conversations around civil rights in the era that, there is this massive gap between our understanding and appreciation for then right. versus our like our ability to enter into the now. Right. Well, I, I think there, there are a couple of things. One, you know, the, the narrative that we often tell of the civil rights movement is that, you know, that was then. This is now we have overcome. Hmm. Uh, and so to 
continue to reflect on our shortcomings as a country disrupts the comfortable narrative we like to tell. There were heroes and there were bad guys, and we think the bad guys were only those who um, uh, wore white robes and you know burned crosses. Those are the only bad guys, right. you know, the way we yeah. like to tell it. But we defeated the bad guys because mm. you know, good wins, and that's the end of the story. Mm. Um, and so we, we tell that sort of sanitized version um, and the late Reverend Billy Kyles used to say, uh, particularly looking at it, though it's not just a black-white issue, but he said, speaking specifically in black-white, he said, for blacks, talking about the past is often too painful, and for whites, it's often too shameful. Hmm. Um, but if we're going to move forward uh, as a country on issues of race, we've got to confront our pain and our shame of our shared history, hmm. uh, because this is not African-American history. I mean, I think that's the other thing is hmm. we talk about this history from Martin Luther King Day through the end of February, hmm. and then we go back to business as usual, hmm. you know, and we've got to move away from that uh, as well. We've got to learn to expand the national narrative hmm. uh, to include all people's stories. And so I think one of the reasons we continue to trip up over race is we don't know uh, our shared and, and it's a kind story. of a compartmentalization, right? That there's a right. class about black right. Right. history in America, and that it's for black people. Huh. Um, you know, that's the thing. You know, when participants that come on my trip, uh, it never fails that I will. First of all, I, I, I actually attract more uh, whites than I do, you know, of, of other groups. Um, but it never fails. I'll always get, you know, some student, maybe undergrad or graduate student, uh, who about two or three days into the trip will kind of slide up beside me on the bus and say, I'm so glad I came on this. I was told by, you know, fill in the blank, my father, my grandmother, my don't go on that because they're just going to tell you how bad white people are. Mm -hmm. And that's got nothing to do with you and, blah, 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 and that kind of thing. And they say, but then I came on this trip and I learned about uh, Reverend Gretz or I learned about Miss Viola Liuzzo. Uh, or I learned about, you know, college students who were part of Freedom Summer or the Freedom Rides that look like me. Yep. And so now I know this is my story, you know, too. So, so somebody's like identifying the civil rights movement and the civil rights era as not a black movement right. only. Right. I mean, that was, whites could participate yeah, in, yeah. but that it was a that, that it was a moment that was certainly led by African American right. individuals, right. but was also I mean when you talk about the uh, the gentleman who invited King, uh, you you mentioned his name a little while ago, uh, Reverend Reese, yeah, to Selma, yeah, I mean, like without that detail, like he was invited in right to come and without those folks, that you right. know that moment doesn't happen. Well, like, like I was saying yesterday, you know, the civil rights movement, there are many themes that you can pull from it, but one is those ordinary people who did extraordinary things. Like a lot of people are surprised. Many of these veterans uh, still live in those towns where the events happened because those were their hometowns. Yeah. A lot of them are in the phone book huh. uh, because, you know, again, this is where, you know, they, they, they have, have lived life. I tell people it's as though the movement happened in your hometown. You'd probably still be there or have some family hmm. uh, that reside there. So these are just ordinary people who were seeking to live out what it means to be a citizen in the United States. Dr. King uh, used to often say that all we're saying to America is be true to what you said on paper. Hmm. And so they were holding them accountable. So whether that was the, the, the nine students in, in Little Rock who wanted to live out the promise of Brown hmm. or whether that was the Freedom Riders uh, who were living out the, the promise of integrated uh, interstate transportation. Mm -hmm. That's all they were doing. Now they were labeled as being un-American, disruptive, yeah. unpatriotic, all those things that we put on social movements like Black Lives Matter. 
uh, today. But the issue is still the same. I mean, the, the movement veterans to a person uh, will say and believe freedom's a constant struggle. In fact, one of the tough things sometimes we have when we're meeting with these veterans on the trip, um, you know, we try not to pigeonhole them, but you know, if I'm in Selma, you know, people do want to hear some stories about 1960s yes. Selma. Um, but for these activists, because they've lived lives of activism, what's happening in what happened in 1965 Selma is just as important as what's happening in 2017 yeah. Selma. And, and so for people to even get that sense that, you know, we're still at work here. There's still a lot of work to, to be done. It doesn't matter uh, who's in the governor's mansion or who's in the White House. Um, you know, injustice persists uh, and people mm. of, of conscience and goodwill uh, have to keep working. That's good. Thanks for your time. Oh, man. Thank you, my brother, man. This has uh, been a blessing. Man. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I only yeah. wish, I really do only wish that somehow uh, audio wise I could capture that bow tie because <laughs> that is magic. <laughs> it's wonderful. Well, like I said, my wife dresses me. It's so. beautiful. That's good. Thank you, man. Appreciate cool. it. And thank you for joining me for this episode of the podcast. You can dig into the additional resources, the things referenced in uh, my conversation with Dr. Todd, including links actually to Dr. Todd's tour by visiting at cpodcast.com. That's A-T-S-E-A podcast.com. Until next time.